0: That video raises some difficult questions. It raises some questions that we need to deal with and some questions that there is much confusion over in our culture. The The question is, is how do we raise biblical men? How do we raise biblical women? I, I don't know that there's anyone in here tonight that would say that they do not want to do that. I, I would say that if you're here tonight, you have the desire to see your son or daughter, come to a point where you can look at them and see that they are a godly man or a godly woman. You have a desire to see here tonight that if you're a church member, you would want to see the young people of grace grow to be a godly man or a godly woman. I think just simply being here shows that. And what we're going to do tonight is, is simply going to lay the foundation to unite our church family around a, a vision, a framework for how to grow our children and teens into godly men and women. That, that's what we're doing tonight. The Grace Family Summit, is, as Bill said, will be semi-annually, and we didn't advertise it as semi-annually because it's so confusing. We knew that people would go, does that mean semi or bi? Or? We don't know. But it will be semi-annually, and it will serve to equip you to live out your role in God's family at Grace Baptist in raising and raising up godly men and women from among our teens and children. The, the reality is this, is that I don't, I don't think any of us here tonight would say or would push aside and say, I, I didn't realize that we were supposed to raise our children in godliness. I, I didn't realize that. None of us would say that. I, I think we would all agree and say we know that. If we asked the, the parents, if we said parents, sorry, is it your job to raise your child in godliness, I, I think you would say yes, it is. I, I think if we asked everybody in here that that is a senior adult or a young adult, and said said should you work together with the families at Grace to help the young the young men and women to grow to, in godliness, I, I think you would say yes. The question that's not necessarily the question. The question is this: is how do we do that? How do we do it? The, the question that we get from parents is not. Should I be the spiritual leader? The question is, how do I lead my child spiritually? How do I do it? I know that I'm supposed to do it, how do I do it? I think, I think every adult in here understands that we have a responsibility towards the young people of our church. If not, we would not have a, such a committed student and children's ministry here. So that, that doesn't concern me. That's not what we're trying to tackle tonight. We're not trying to convince you of the importance of growing youth and children into godliness. What we're wanting to do tonight is to lay a foundation that we would come together as a family and work together as a church in doing this. That This would not be an isolated task of the student ministry. It would not be an isolated task of the children's ministry, but we would all work together as the family of God to grow godly men and women. This is where Ephesians 4.12 comes in. If many of you may be familiar with that, I hope you are. I hope you know this verse. Ephesians 4 12 calls pastors to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You know, as Bill said, that our primary task, what we attempt to do as the pastors here is we attempt to equip you for ministry. God, God tells us in Ephesians 4 or Ephesians 2.10, he tells us that every believer saved by grace has good works to do that god has prepared beforehand we we have a task to do we have a calling a work to do for god and so how do we do that how do you carry out your role in grace baptist church whether you're 80 whether you're eight how do you carry out your role in grace baptist and our job and what we seek to do is to equip you to do that and we spent a a lot of time scott and i spent a lot of time with our respective ministries uh, working to equip parents Scott probably spends more time talking to me than he wants to because we have to do that. We have to to work together on how do we equip parents to do what they need to do and the reality is that that parents need older adults to help them. That they need the rest of the church to come alongside them and help them in their task of raising godly young men and women. So what we're doing tonight, like Bill said, it's not a it's not a new paradigm, it's not this new program, it's not a new thing that's going to add to your schedule or anything like that. What we do tonight is lay in a foundation for what will start happening in the spring and at every Grace Family Summit from now on to lay a foundation and an understanding of how we can raise godly men and women in this church. How we can answer the question with confidence, when does a boy become a man? When does a girl become a godly woman? We can answer those questions with confidence. And, and they will know that as well. So that's what we're doing tonight. The, the question, I think, is this for us tonight, what we want to deal with is, is why is it important for our entire church family? Why is this not the Grace Parent Summit? Why, why did we think it was important enough to, to spend time on a Sunday night when the whole church is gathered? Why is it that important? The, the reason that we see, and we'll start in your handout here in a moment, the, the reason that we see, the reason it's important for our entire church is this, is, is Scripture gives us a picture of the church and the home coexisting. They coexist in a, in a partnership. They work together, okay? And, and we're a part of the family of God. We see that, that God started, he, he, he founded the biological family first in his plan, but throughout the narrative of Scripture, that he unfolds the concepts and the truths of the biblical family into an extended spiritual family. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight because as we do this, it's important that we understand what this is and we understand that everybody at Grace has a role to play in what we're starting here as far as our raising biblical men and women. So look on your handout there. What we want to do is we want to just trace through Scripture tonight on on the, the development of the family, the concept of the family in Scripture. Your, your title there is the, the Family and the Meta-Narrative of Scripture. You understand, a lot of you, I know not everybody does, you may not be familiar with the term meta-narrative. What that is, meta-narrative simply means the big story, the overall picture. Okay? And so what that means is that from Genesis to Revelation, there is a big story. There's one theme, one story of Scripture. And so how do we see family carried out? How do we see it developed through the meta-narrative of Scripture? From Genesis to Revelation, how does it develop in God's plan? How do how do we see it work out? So the first thing we see is this: is that we see that God establishes the biological family in creation. He he begins with the biological family in Genesis 1, 27 and twenty eight. It says, God, you know, you know these verses. God created man and woman in whose image? His image. Man and woman was created were created. In the image of God. Verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing along the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the earth. And he goes on through the creation narrative. In Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, what do we see there? In regards to the biological family, God ordains what? He ordains marriage. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here we see the institution of marriage begun in the Garden of Eden, And, and mind you, this is before the fall. God begins the biological family in creation. The second thing is this, is that God uses biological families to establish his people. We see God working throughout Genesis. We see in Noah's family how God preserves mankind and demonstrates his mercy, establishes the first covenant with man. Right? We see that. We see him working through Noah's family, and then we see whose family arise. God calls forth who? He calls forth Abraham correct? He calls forth Abraham and works through his family to establish his people. To establish his people. What does he tell Abraham? He says that your descendants will become more numerous than the stars. And he establishes a covenant with Abraham. Throughout the rest of Genesis, we continue to see God working through key families. We see him working through the family of Isaac and then Jacob. And then we see God working in Jacob's family and how many sons does he have? Twelve. Twelve. And so we see God's plan where he started with a biological family and he begins working it out to become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Which leads us to the third point that God continues to use biological families as he works through his people on a national level. You see how God's using the families. You see how he's carrying out his plan to work out his plan of redemption. We see... Moses, redeeming God's people from Egypt. And then we see Joshua leading the nation into the promised land. And I think at this point it would be very easy to think, okay, God is leaving the idea of the family behind. He, he is, he's ditching the family. But God does not do this. Flip with me to Deuteronomy 6. One of the foundational passages of Scripture for parents and for the family It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Specifically, verses 6 and 7. Verse 4 begins and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now listen to this. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. We, we see that in the midst of God working through Moses and God working in the nation, He never sets aside the biological family. The family is still the primary context of learning about God and who God is. The same is true in, in Joshua 4, 1-7. through 7. You just write that down. We won't flip over tonight. But as Joshua prepares to lead the, the nation, the people, into the promised land, what does God tell him to do? He crosses the river, and God says, as you do that, I want you to gather 12 stones out of the river, and on the bank of the river on the other side, I want you to, to erect a memorial. And that memorial will serve to do what? To teach the nations? No. He says, that memorial will serve to teach your children. So that when your children ask, I want you to tell them of what I have done. When your children ask, tell the works of God, instruct them, and tell them about who I am. So we still see God working in the family and speaking to parents in the midst of him broadening the scope of his nation. God calls forth the judges to lead the people. He answers the cries of the people and establishes a monarchy. The prophets are sent to warn his people. And throughout this process of development, God still uses and focuses on the family unit. Think about Ruth. Where did Ruth find her redemption? Her kinsman redeemer. Through the family. We, we see in Proverbs, what is Proverbs as a book? It's a book of wise saying, a book of instructions from a king to his people. Who is it written by? It's written by a father to his son. We see this in Scripture. We see in Malachi 4, 6, before the coming of the New Testament, one of the last words penned that the Messiah, what will he do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. In the midst of this, we we see God using the family unit. This is never set aside. As we enter the New Testament, family takes on a richer meaning. It just gets richer and richer and richer. Your next point there on your handout, God sends the Messiah through the familial bloodline. He, He sends the Messiah for the people through family bloodlines. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17 is what? It's a genealogy. It's a genealogy that we trace Christ back to who? To David, all the way back to Abraham. The genealogy just tells the picture of how God uses families to bring about and to bring forth the Messiah. So he delivers the people through that bloodline finally in the New Testament we're going to camp out here a little bit God redeems his people on an individual basis into his spiritual family it's at this point that the family gains tremendous tremendous richness it's at this point that our our mind when we hear family explodes explodes our, our, that terminology When we hear family is transformed in the New Testament. Listen to this. Listen to to Matthew 12, 48-49. When asked or told that his family is looking for him, who does Jesus reply is his family? Who does he identify as his family? He says, Whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's my family. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my mother. That's that's an amazing thing. Look at John 1.12. We're we're told that all who have believed are given the right to become children of God. Children of God. Not not people of God. Although we see that. We see that in Peter. That you're a holy nation. A chosen race. We, We see that. We understand that we are the people of God, but we are also the children of God, the children of God. Galatians six ten calls us to do good to those in the family of faith or the household of faith. Paul says, "Do good to those in the family of faith, the family." This is interesting. Right, let me let's read. Listen, hold on. Let's, Paul's that. Forget I said that for a minute. Galatians 4, 5 through 6. This will give you a better understanding of what I was about to tell you. Why were we redeemed? In, in Galatians 4, 5, and 6 Paul says we were redeemed so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying what? Abba, Father. We ha- We have a a unique relationship with God. You, you see this concept of family developing through Scripture and in God's people. Now, now think about this. Mark, flip open to Mark ten, verse twenty-nine. We talk a lot about who is the head of the church. Who is the head of Grace Baptist Church? While you're flipping. The Lord, I'm scared, maybe we need to back up. (laughs) Didn't get much response on that one. Mark 10, verse 29. We'll start in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions in the age to come and eternal life. Now, this is a verse that has rich meaning for my family because we don't have our biological family here with us. We have Wisconsin and Georgia family. We have no Kentucky family, no blood relatives in Kentucky. But there's not a moment, not a week goes by that Steph and I go and walk around thinking we have no family because of the reality of this verse. The reality of this verse, I think Bill and Ricky get to testify to this. And some of you who have moved in or have something, you you see the reality of this verse. Now, Now look at this verse real careful. What is in verse 29 that is not in verse 30? There's a family member in verse 29 that is not found in verse 30. <coughs> Father, why, why does he not say you'll have a hundredfold fathers there's only one father there's only one father there's one head of the church it's Christ our Lord when we think about the church as a family there's only one father and that's God the father the one that Galatians tells us we can cry to Abba Daddy that's just that's just an interesting side note I think we think about the family the lordship of Christ the, the fatherhood of God how unique that is continue on new testament picture of family ephesians 1:5 says that God predestined us to adoption as sons adoption as sons ephesians 2:19 says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God <clears throat> The household of God. The family of God. 1 Peter 4.17 refers to God's people as the household, the family of God. Do you see what's going on in the New Testament? Do you see the coming of Christ, what happened? That, that we are a family unit. Do you realize in, in the New Testament, brother or sister, the Greek term brother or sister, adelphoi, is used over 139 times. Now, we, we don't have time to really dig into this a lot tonight, but the, the, the ancient Near Eastern understanding of what a brother was and the importance of a brother in bloodlines was much more strong than what we understand. Blood ran thick. It runs thick here. I mean, you know, you can, you can talk about my sister... Or, wait, anyway, what is it? I can talk about my sister, but you better not type thing, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys are shaking your head. You understand that. In, in, the, in the biblical times, this was, this was intense. That, that was, uh, the familial relationship was key. It was key. It was vital. It was highly guarded and protected and thought highly of. Very important. So when Paul writes, and Paul says, brothers, This is not something they go, oh, he's just being nice. Hey, brother, he doesn't know my name. That's not what he's saying. That's not what they're thinking. When Paul says brothers, he's making a statement. He's making a statement that you are a family. The believers are a family. So you need to function as such. You need to function as such. Brothers, encourage one another. Brothers, pray for one another. Brothers, build one another up. All of the one another's in Scripture, we see this this love and care that brothers should have for one another. I know some of you in here are probably thinking, well, I've got a brother and he doesn't show me a lot of love and care. (laughs) We live in a fallen world. But in God's family, he calls brothers to unite around each other and to love each other with depth and sincerity of heart. So what do we see? We see that the biological family is never diminished. There's a spiritual dimension of family added. It's added intensified. It becomes, becomes richer. He never sets aside the biological family. He says, okay, now that we have the family of God, now we can set aside your family unit. He never says that. Never says it. We, we see instructions of how to live and function as godly families. We see exhortations in Ephesians, Colossians, for how parents should instruct the children in God. We see families all through Acts. God working in families. There's never a time where He says, listen, the family unit is not important. So here's the thing. Here's the truth tonight. If we're going to be faithful to Scripture, if we are going to be faithful to Scripture, we must seek God's will both in our biological family and our spiritual family. We must seek God's will. Go to the next slide there, Dave. We must seek God's will in both our biological and our spiritual family. Scripture demands it. Demands it. We we've got to keep in mind that we're a part of two families. We can't emphasize one and forget the other. Or we depart from Scripture. We're a part of two families. There's challenges we face. We see in America that both of these families are under attack. The church is under attack. It is constantly, culture is constantly selling. This, this lie of individualism. And, and what happens? The, the church just loses its identity as a family. It is losing that identity. It's, it's losing the, the richness of that truth that we're a family because we become so individualistic. And, and what's the result of this? What's it look like? Well, people come and they, they sit in pews on a weekly basis and never get involved in the family of God, never get involved in what God's doing in, in ministry. They, they just come and sit and listen and go home. Or, or we see members running from the church when they hurt. How common is that? that? That someone goes through problems in their marriage and instead of turning to the church, they turn away from the church. Instead of turning to Scripture, that's the truth and, and, and the source that, that solves all heart problems, all problems of living instead of turning to that and to God's people who are united around that scripture they run from it why? because the church has ceased functioning as a family more often than not where does Sydney turn when she hurts where does she turn when she's scared what does she do when she has a bad dream she doesn't run to the neighbor she doesn't bottle it up she runs to me She turns to Steph. We're family. We are family, Grace. We're a family. So we turn to one another. We minister to one another. We love one another. We counsel each other with Scripture. We speak truth into one another's lives. We exhort one another. We hold one another accountable. We sharpen one another. We grab one another's hands and walk down difficult roads. We're not perfect, but we're family. The other attack is that in the biological family. You know this attack all too well, that the family is, is simply hit at every angle. Men are becoming passive. They're abandoning their God-ordained role of leadership. There's a lot of reasons for that. We talked about it a few weeks, in ser- a few weeks ago in the sermon, but that, that they're just becoming passive. Some of the reasons is, is, is because they're constantly mocked by culture. Constantly. Children are taught to, to disobey and they're taught to, to mock them and lie to them and sneak around their back and all these things to, to get away from their parents, to deceive their parents. The, the, the family is under attack. It's under attack. We've got to be aware of that. And many of us, how do we respond to that? Our response is that we embrace ourselves and wrap ourselves up and we get so focused on the family unit that then everything is about our biological family. And we ditch the church. Again, that's an extreme. It's too far. My family is important. My family is a priority in my life. But we do not exist outside of God and His people. We exist within the family of God. And I make decisions according to my family, but I make decisions for my family within what God calls me to do. And God's will for my life and my life, the life of my family. We are a part of two families. Our desire tonight is to see the grace family working together to strengthen the families of grace. We, we want to see the grace family come together, young and old, to strengthen each family unit. And we want to see each family unit plugged into the various ministries of grace. So, so, what are the Grace Family Summits? What are they? It is simply, uh, we'll meet twice a year. It's for the entire church family. That's been the hardest thing to sell, <laughs> the hardest thing to, to get across and, and to communicate is that this is for all ages. This is not just for parents, it's not just for children. This is for all ages. If you have children outside the home that are grown and moved on, great. You need to be here, you have a role to play. If you're single, you have no children, you've never had children, great. You have a role to play. If you're a young couple that does not have children yet, that's fantastic. There's a role you play. We all play a role as the family of grace. We all play a role in the development of our children and teenagers. The Grace Family Summits are going to simply equip you to fulfill your role. They're going to equip you to do that. So from now on, the Grace Family Summit, so what will happen is in this time will be a teaching time for the whole church. At April the 29th, we have uh, Dr. Timothy Paul Jones coming from Southern Seminary. He, he's considered the, probably one of the leading guys in family ministry. A great guy. And he's coming, he's going he's to teach in this session, then we'll break out, and there will be breakout sessions for your spot, for your, de- your demographic, whatever position of life you're in. Whatever season of life you're in, there's going to be a breakout session for you. So that may be raising a children. It may be sharing, the, how do I share the gospel with a child? How do, I, how do I prepare my kid for adolescence? It may be, how do I come alongside a parent and encourage them as a senior adult? How do I disciple? How do I carry out Titus 2? How, how do I disciple a teenager? How do I disciple a child? How do I serve as a prayer mentor? There, there's all types of breakout seminars and sessions that will equip you to do what you need to do to, to answer the how do I do it question. We know we want biblical men. We know we want biblical women. How do we do it? Grace Family Summits are going to answer that question. They're going to put resources in your hands, whether you're a senior adult or whether you're a young parent or whether you're a seasoned parent that has all the answers. The mythological being that we know does not exist, right? Right? No matter where you are, we're going to equip you and put things in your hands to fulfill your role as a part of the family of God at Grace Baptist. That's what Grace Family Summits are. That's where we're headed. I want to just give you a a real quick uh, kind of instructional time for what we're going to do next. We we wanted to send you out into three breakout sessions tonight. This This is a unique Grace Family Summit. The, the other ones will not be like this as far as how we do the breakout sessions. There will be many more breakout sessions and, that you choose from. Tonight, we wanted to break you up kind of according to your demographic and, and just spend some time with you talking about uh, this whole idea of rites of passage. And, and your breakout leader will talk to you more about that and give you an understanding of what that means. The, the video started talking about a rite of passage that a young man in northern Mongolia has to go through. What, what, are there rites of passage that we can take the young men and young women of grace through to raise them up to be godly men and godly women? If so, how do we do that? What role do we play? And that's what your breakout session will cover. So, so here's the three groups. The three groups are, first, we want to have a group of, of young adults with no children. So if you're a young adult and you do not have children, or at least you think you're young and you have no children, uh, then you'll be in the blue room in the back right there, um, the second group will be parents with children in the home. So, if you're a parent any age with children of any age in the home, then you'll stay here in the sanctuary, okay? And then the final group is adults with no children in the home. So, if any adult any age that you have no children in the home, um, we're thinking what we're thinking here is older adults, right? Um, so, older adults with no children in the home, uh, or if you're to the point in your life where you say, "I'm probably not going to have children." then that's where uh, the group you'll be in, and you'll be in the Holtzclaw building. Now, I want to make a comment about that, because we tried everything we could. We met um, two different times trying to figure a way around that, because we know the Holtzclaw building is the most inconvenient place. And we know that some of you going down there will be senior adults, you have a hard time walking and and, and whatnot. Uh, We're not kicking you out. We're not sending a message of, well, just go on down to the Holtzclaw building. What we're doing is is we wanted you to be up here in the blue room, but the families just number and logistically we couldn't do it. Uh, The number with families and children is gonna be big enough that the only place that that group can be is in here. And then uh, your group is big enough that you're gonna have to be in the Holtzcall building because none of the rooms back there would hold you, which is a blessing. Uh, We entered tonight thinking, hey, if there's not many senior adults come or older adults, then uh, we'll send them into the blue room. But praise the Lord, you're here and there's too many of you for the blue room. So uh, we'll send you down to the Holtz call room. Actually, we don't want to just send you down. We want to escort you down and drive you down. So um, I think Max Shearer and Jen Gilbert are going around. They're pulling limousines around uh, to pick you up. <laughs> they just don't look like limousines, but tell yourself they are. Uh, but there's some limousines coming around to pick you up there, and they'll take you down to make it easier on you getting you down there. Um, we, we appreciate you being here, young and old. We appreciate you being here. Uh, let me pray. Uh, We'll do a five or ten minute break. Don't leave. Don't use this chance to go. I'm out of here because uh, it's been all I can do not to talk about rites of passage uh, because, man, I'm excited about this. Um, As your student pastor, I know the staff is as well. Uh, We're going to talk about rites of passage, give you a picture of that, do some dreaming, and, and look at what will it look like, how do we do it, and what is your role in a rite of passage? How do you carry out This framework and live it out to see young men and women grow to be godly men and women. Let's pray together, have a five to ten minute break, and then uh, get you to your respective breakout session.